You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Amen. Shout a praise somebody from somebody this morning. Yeah. Yeah, so I know sometimes you might think, oh, we do this every Sunday and it's all about hype. No, God's worth it, man. And even though maybe you don't come in here some Sundays necessarily feeling excited about God, God's still worthy to be excited about. Like beyond what, because, you know, you've heard me say, like, life will drown out who God really is. The life that you live sometimes will paint an inaccurate portrait of God. Come on. When you're going through it and when you can't go around it even though you'd like to, it can paint a really inaccurate picture. And the reason why we come together here on Sundays and the reason why God gave us his word is for us to be reminded of who he really is. Amen, somebody? Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Vintage, and I am so grateful to be able to stand on this platform before you today. If you're worshiping with us for the very first time today, thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. We'd love for you to stop by the White Connections tent on your way out, not because we want to hound you or bother you or we're going to show up at your house, but we just know sometimes at a new church it's difficult to kind of know everything, and maybe you have questions and you want to know more about who we are. And we want to thank you for worshiping with us for just a little small gift. So stop by that tent. Also, I want to remind you, too, there's other resources that we have available to you, especially if you're you're just starting out in your faith journey. Maybe you just accepted Jesus, or maybe you've accepted Jesus and and you just kind of feel stuck, and you just want to, because you know what? Uh, You've heard me say, we don't believe in skipping a dip. Like you don't just get to skip down to an altar, get dipped in a baptismal pool, and then you're done. Uh, um, thank you. Somebody laughed for that. I appreciate that today. Uh, we believe that, that salvation is the beginning of a lifelong journey. Amen. And to grow in him, you got to be intentional about that. So we have this, we've created just a bag of resources that's just to kind of help you get kick-started in your faith. Just some simple things of uh, a book for you to read to kind of learn more about what God wants for you next and to get into God's word and, and, and some really important resources. They're available, again, at the Connections Tent. So stop by on your way out. Um, and you can find out more about what's going on around our church because there's a lot of things happening outside of Sunday mornings. And I just want to remind you quickly about a few of those things. Uh, uh, next Saturday, April the 1st, we're going to be doing a, a beautification process project here on this campus. We believe in, in getting out of the community once a quarter corporately together. We believe that we should be reaching out to our community every day as individuals who follow Jesus. Amen? Amen to the rest of you? Thank you. Um, that's just what we're called to do. We're called to minister to people every single day, every moment. We don't wait for the church to tell us when to act like Jesus. So, uh, we, but as corporately, um, we come together about once a quarter to do a project, and we're just going to love on this campus, and so we're going to help do some projects around the school that they don't have the manpower and resources to do, but we do. Uh, so if you would like to be a part of that event, um, it's, it's on our app on the events page, but it, it will start at 8 a.m. next um, Saturday. We need volunteers, and if you, can, if you have a pulse, you can help. So come and help us in that initiative. Um, also, Easter is rapidly approaching. And Easter at Vintage is, maybe I'm biased, but it is awesome. Um, I just love it. It's a great time. And so we need your help in several ways. Um, if you look around you, there's not a whole lot of seats in this service. Um, and we need to make some room in this service because typically a lot of people come to church for the very first time on, on Easter. Maybe they only come on Easter. And so we don't get mad about that. We see that as we got one shot, man, to impact people with the gospel and the truth of who Jesus is. And if we only get that one shot, we're going to make the most of it. So we need you, one way that you could serve us on Easter Sunday is we need a hundred people 
in this service to commit to coming to our earlier service. Um, last year, we had um, over 700 people between both services, and both services were at max capacity, and we've grown as a church since then, and we just need to make room. So as you go out today, some of our host team members are going to have a couple things, an invite card, because we believe that there's somebody in your life that's one invitation away from life change. One more invite to say, hey, will you come to church with me and, and s- you can sit next to me. I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll go to Waffle House and buy your breakfast. Don't go to Bojangles. Go sit down and have a waffle. It's good. <laughs> come to church with me and worship. But if you would, there's going to have some sign-up sheets. We need 100 people to commit to that for that one Sunday to serve our church in that way by, by attending our earlier service that Sunday because it's a, it's a there's more open seats in that service. Although last year we had about an equal number of people in both services, but it because, because many of you chose to get up just a little bit earlier. Um, we don't have a sunrise service, but you can come at 9 um, and, and worship us with us. And we just want to give you that card. And if you put that card, give it to a neighbor, give it to a coworker. If you give it to your waitress, make sure it includes a big tip because if you don't tip very big, I don't want to be associated with this church, okay? Um, so make sure you take one of those and remember that. Uh, also, one last thing, please continue to remember our Haiti team. Uh, in just a little over a month now, uh, there's a group of us that are going down to an island off the coast of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, called Loganov. This is be our, I think our fourth trip down there to serve. That we're, we're doing, We take a team every other year, and we're going to be helping real b- rebuild a church that was destroyed in Hurricane Matthew back in the fall so that they can worship like we get to worship on Sundays. And uh, this week they sent us a picture of the building, and we're going to restore this building that God's going to use to bring people to Jesus. And so pray for that team because they're freaking out a little bit because we're going to be living in the woods for about four days, and it's going to be fun. Uh, so just make sure you lift that team up in prayer. God's doing really, really cool things around our church, and I'm just excited about what he has next, and I hope you are too. Amen. All right, but today we're in part three of a series that we are calling Ups and Downs. But, and the whole thing behind this series is that describes my life, ups and downs. How about yours? Like, I mean, it, it would be nice if life was good all the time, but it ain't, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, it's, it's not, it, it has its ups and its downs. It has its highs and lows. And you know what? The more I look back on my life, my life just kind of is a bit of a roller coaster. And I read this quote, life is a roller coaster. It has ups and downs, but it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. And that's just kind of life, isn't it? I mean, and, and you know what? I don't know what your life is like compared to what you thought it would be. I mean, we grow up as a kid, and you know what? We have all these dreams and these aspirations and things that we want to do in our lives. But then now as I look back, like, there's a lot of things in my life, like, I didn't plan on that. And I would rather n- that had not happened. And we, we, we kind of, we plan for the ups. You know, we like the ups part. You know, we like the, the good things in our lives and the achievements and all this other kind of stuff. But, like, most of us don't grow up expecting to end up divorced or filing for bankruptcy or getting cancer or losing a child. Like there's a lot of downs in our lives and that's just the reality of it. And, and, and from what I gather in scripture, God, God told us it was gonna be like that. Like he, he never said, you know what? Accept me and for the rest of your life, rainbows will shoot from your ears and unicorns will fall from the sky. Like, that's just not, he never, he said, like, you said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome it. There's going to be ups and downs. And if we don't learn how to navigate the ups and downs of life, it can really take a toll on our lives, amen? It can destroy so much of us. It can, it can be so difficult if we don't learn how to navigate these things called life. And we would love for everything just to be, I showed you this image, everything to be like a straight line. Like, we would love, our life ideally would look like the one on my right, but the reality is, is some version of the one on my left, amen? Like, it's where there was places it just went kind of haywire and sideways. 
And that's the reality. And we've got to learn how to not allow our faith to go down as life goes down. Like we've got to learn how to find some consistency and trust the Lord even through the good and the bad, through the ups and the downs, through the highs and the lows. And the cool thing is we have this thing called the Bible. The inspired word of God. Come on. And I, I think from table of contents to maps, like God, there's, there's truth in it for us. That God, and God given, and we know what I found, like the people in scripture were no strangers to what we're talking about. Like their lives weren't easy either. Their lives were all over the place. Their lives were roller coasters too. And you know, sometimes I think it's, we think, it's almost like when we read the Bible, it's almost like we're reading a comic book and like Moses is the equivalent of like Wolverine or something. Like we don't, we don't think they're real people. But these were real people, men and women, with flesh and bone, who lived just like we live and navigated all kinds of craziness in life. And I believe a lot of the reason why God has allowed us to have these stories is because he wants us to learn something. He wants us to glean some truth and some knowledge and some wisdom from these stories to apply to our lives so that we too can learn how to navigate the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. And so we've been studying the life of one of Scripture's biggest superheroes, King David. I mean, maybe outside of the person of Jesus, maybe, maybe Paul, but, but King David is one of those legendary figures in the Bible. And even if you didn't grow up in church and don't even have hardly any exposure to the Bible, you've heard about King David. And man, when you look at King David's life, I mean, he's known as, as a man after God's own heart, and he lived this crazy extravagant life and, and built this empire in, through this nation that started pretty much as nothing, and he did all kinds of cool things. But man, he had some really high highs and some really, really low lows. We started out in this first, the first week of this series looking at one of those legendary highs where he killed Goliath, the giant slayer, just as a little boy. And we talked about how, how could he have the courage to face something that was so much bigger than him and how I submitted to you that the, the level of his courage was determined by the depth of his conviction. And he had such a belief in who God is and was and can be that empowered him to go and face the giant. And then last week, we continued to look at his life. And man, can you just show some love to, to Pastor Casey Harris about an awesome message he brought last Sunday? When we talked about uncommon friendship and looking at the, the relationship between David and Jonathan, and if we're going to navigate the highs and lows of life, we cannot do it alone. Like, we need community. We need community. And he preached, and, and you know what? We're talking about real relationships, not just being Facebook friends, you know? Like, how, having those real, authentic relationships that help us navigate life. But today, we're going to look at probably the, the second most notable story and David's life. And if, and if slaying the giant was the highest of highs, the story we're going to read today, it was the lowest of lows. It was David had one of the all-time legendary fails. I mean, as legendary a fail as anyone can have. If, if him killing Goliath was maybe the pinnacle of his life, maybe one of the high points of his story, the story we're going to dig into today is about as low as it gets. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to realize something that we got to wake up to, church, is that sometimes life is a roller coaster because of us. Come on. Like we, sometimes we're responsible for the mess that is our lives. I mean, I don't know about you, but my life has most often been a mess when I do something stupid. Ever done something stupid? 
that led to doing something stupider. I know that ain't a word, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> like, right, you ever made a bad decision? No, I haven't. <laughs> well, you're the only one. Welcome. Glad you're here. Maybe you should come preach. Here's a better question. Have you ever made a bad decision that led to a bad decision? That led to another bad decision? And then another bad decision? I mean, sometimes bad decisions like a snowball just rolling down a hill. So it's like quicksand. And before you know it, it's just caught you up and you're up to your neck in it and don't know how to deal with it. That's what happens to David in this story. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from it. So let's dive in together. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to pick up with verse 1. If you have your, your Vintage Church app, the scripture is in there for you, or you can pull it up on, on uh, any app or, or use your actual Bible. It's going to also be on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They, des- they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So right there, there's already something weird going on in this story that we should pick up on that we should notice. It said, there, there, here comes a time. Now, David is no longer a little boy fighting Goliath. He's a grown man. He is now the king over Israel. And he's had some legendary wins. He's, he's, the Bible says, you know, Saul killed some, but David killed a whole bunch. That's kind of what it says. And he had won some battles, and he was taking territory. But it, all of a sudden it says, now, there's this one time, one season in David's life when all the men were going off to war. But for some reason, David decided, I'm not going. David was the king. He was the general. He was the commander-in-chief. And they're in a season when his responsibility is to be leading his troops to war. And for some reason, he he decides to pass the buck and give that responsibility to somebody else and stay home. I believe that one of the first warning signs that something's beginning to go wrong in somebody's lives is when they start to neglect responsibilities that are supposed to be theirs. Like you want to talk about a warning sign that, that maybe somebody's life isn't quite where it's supposed to be. When they start to neglect responsibilities that belong to them, that is a huge warning sign that something's not going right. And I know we don't like that word in our culture, responsibility. But we all have them, no matter how old or how young. And when we begin to pass those off onto other people, I believe it's a warning sign that something isn't quite right in our lives. You with me, church? Verse 2. So here, again, here's David. All, all the men are gone, pretty much. Like basically all that would be left would be men too young or too old to fight. And so David's comrades, his inner circle, he was a warrior, he was a soldier. That was his inner circle, was warriors and soldiers. And so all the people that were in David's inner circle would have been gone, and now he's isolated and alone. Verse 2, one evening David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. So here's David isolated at home by himself when all of his inner circle is away. And one night he just gets a little bored. 
like Netflix is down or something. He goes up on the roof, and he just begins to walk around on the roof. And all of a sudden, he happens to look over, and there is a beautiful woman bathing. And now, I don't know why Bathsheba didn't have a shower curtain. I don't know what was happening here. But he looks over, and right here, he begins down a series of terrible choices that I think had already begun. He, he sees this beautiful woman. And instead of just thinking, okay, I probably shouldn't be up here. I need to go back to bed. I need to get down. He says, who is that woman? He not only just kind of pays attention to her, and, and, and I don't think this was like just really quick. I think he stood out there and he's oogling her. You ever seen a man oogle? He's oogling. And then he goes and gets another servant for the most part and says, go find out who that woman is. And he comes back and says, here is who her dad is. And guess what? Here's her husband. And Uriah would have been named that, a name that was very known to David because he, as we'll see later, he was, he was one of David's soldiers. He was a noble fighting man. And so right then, David knows that this is somebody's daughter, somebody's wife. And right then, he, had a, he, had a, he stands at a crossroads and has a decision to make. And he could have just, or should have just, shut it down right then. And I would love to tell you he did, but we all know he didn't. Look what he does. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. It just got really bad. David knew and see, sometimes I think we make dumb decisions and we just want to act like we're ignorant. Oh, I, I didn't know. David had all the information that he needed to know that being with this woman was not something he was supposed to do. And he did it anyway. Can I say, there's often a lot of, t- maybe, maybe it's just me. A lot of the dumb decisions in my life, can I be honest with you? I knew better. And I know we kind of want to act like, well, I didn't know, and I didn't blah, blah, blah. Like he knew better. But he did it anyway. See, we don't make bad decisions because of lack of information. There's a lot of other things at play that we're going to get into in just a minute. But it gets worse. Verse 5. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So now she went from just woman, some woman on some foreign roof to baby mama, like real quick. (laughs) And again, here David finds himself once again in a position. Okay, so he's just bored at home one night. He goes up onto the roof. He sees this woman that's attractive. He lets his mind go to the wrong places. He gets her. He has a chance to shut this down at any moment. He sleeps with her. And now she's pregnant. And like, I would love to tell you that what David did next was very noble and honorable. But we're going to see him just continuing to fall off the cliff. Verse 6. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. So David says, hey, send me uh, Bathsheba's husband. And now you like to think, oh, David's going to be a stand-up dude. I need to look this man in the eye and say, I made a mistake, buddy. And then Uriah would punch him in the face and they would, you know, whatever. 
But I mean, he says, send me Uriah. Can you imagine what must have been stirring in David's heart? As here, he looks before this man, one of his soldiers, a man that has fought, gave his, put his life on the line for David time and time again. And now he stands in the same room with him. And he's like, oh, how's things on the battlefield? See, right here, David has a chance to do the right thing. To look this noble soldier in the face and say, Uriah, I know I'm your king and I'm your commander, but I'm weak and I made a bad decision. I messed up. This is what I've done. And I need to make it right. But David doesn't. Verse 8. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. So do you see what David's trying to do? See, David has messed up. And David's plan is, let's get Uriah back here. Let's give him a few days furlough. He ain't seen his wife in a long time. So what we're going to do is we're going to get him over here. We're going to smooth him a little bit. I'm going to act like I care about him. And then you know what? We're going to give him a nice gift, and we're going to send him on his way to his home. And surely, because him and his wife have been apart for a little while, they're going to they're gonna be together, and then she's going to come up pregnant, but he's going to remember this one night of furlough, and he's going to think it's his, and then I'm off the hook. Jerry, Jerry. I mean, this is what's happening right here, right? <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of story. I mean, that's, what it, that's his plan. Is to, is to send Uriah back to his home and kind of just kind of try to cover up his mistake. To try to fix this thing. But Uriah doesn't go. Verse, verse 10. David said to Uriah, Uriah, did you not go home? So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from the military campaign? Why didn't you go home? You know what Uriah says? Basically like King David... How could I go and enjoy being with my wife and my family when men that I command and fight alongside can't get that same opportunity? Like, there's no way in good conscience, King, that I could, that I could go and enjoy this time with my wife knowing that, that all my men are at battle and sacrificing themselves. And you know what? While I'm here enjoying things with my family, there could be men that die because I'm not there. That this is, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. And you know what? David should have understood. So are you, David. All along, I've been doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I've been doing it day in and day out. And I've been fighting beside these guys, and I've watched people die. I've watched people give up their lives. I've watched people make sacrifices. And I can't in good conscience come home and go just kind of check out like you are. Because there's no way I can come and enjoy this time with my wife knowing that men I care about and love are still standing on the battlefield and could lose their lives. Uriah was a noble man. And can you imagine, as David's sitting here hearing this, the conviction that he had to feel. Because David had to be thinking, yeah, that's where I'm supposed to be too, but I stayed home. And so you would think at this point, like it would just break him. And say, you're right, Uriah. Let me tell you why you're really here. I've done something terrible. I've done something awful. 
and I got to make it right. But look what he does. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw so he will be struck down and die. So David, when he couldn't cover up his mess, he writes a letter to the man that can basically clean it up for him. It says, basically, make sure Uriah doesn't come home. Put him on the front lines where you know the battle is most intense, where it's most likely that Uriah won't come back alive. Verse 16, so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had, br- had her brought to, the ha- to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But look at the latter part of verse 27. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It doesn't get much messier than that, does it? See, a legendary f- fail... You don't stumble your way in. You step your way into it one bad decision at a time. And we watch David time after time again stand at a crossroads one after the other. And when he should go left, he goes right. And now, see, it's really easy for you to look at this story and think, you know what, man, that David, good gracious. Like, that would never be me. I would never do that. Most, I think David would have said the same thing. I think the night, if you'd have caught him going up the steps that night as he headed out onto that roof and said, hey, David, let me tell you a story, which would later happen to him by a man of God that would basically help him to realize what he had done. And you said, you know what? Do you think you would ever sleep with a woman that's not your wife, get her pregnant, try to get her husband to sleep with her to cover it up, and when that didn't work, kill him? He'd have thought you were crazy. And maybe your fail that you've experienced sometime in your life, maybe it doesn't seem as bad as this, but can I just submit to you, since when is one sin worse than another? Since, one, since when is one sin more hell-deserving than another? Since when did God give us a hierarchy of stupid decisions? Mistakes and disobedience. And see, we've all been in this position at some point or another. See, you know... I, And again, so many of the, this down in David's life is a result of one bad choice after another. Think about how different it it could have been. As as he stood at each, there's several different crossroads I want to point out in this story. That if he had just made a different decision right there, things would have been different. A man wouldn't have died. Eventually a baby wouldn't have lost his life. And things will be very, very different. And I think as you walk through this story, you see them happen. And I think this is what every single day, church, you stand at different crossroads in your life. Come on. Like your, your day is full of decisions. 
Every day you stand at a crossroads in every environment of your life and in every place in your life and you've got to decide is, is, is what God wants going to win out or is what you're going to want win out? Which way are you going to go? From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, like every single day in every single area of life, you stand at crossroads and you make decisions and those decisions are shaping and determining your life. They're, they're, they're helping that course be charted even right now. And when you repeatedly make the wrong decisions, when you have a chance to make the right one, it's, cause, it's not because you don't have enough information. It's not because you don't know what's right. It's because you willfully, intentionally make those decisions. And that's what happens to David. And let's just walk through some of them. Number one, he chose to be alone instead of be accountable. He chose to be alone instead of accountable. Remember verse 1 where it says when king, in the springtime when kings normally go off to war? He, just imagine if he would have done what he was supposed to do to begin with. You ever had that conversation with your kids? Like they're hurting. Like if you just done what I told you, boy. You've said, am I a bad parent? Is that, you ever had that? Like you, you, know, you hardly want to feel pity because like if you just listen to daddy, your knee wouldn't be bleeding right now, okay? Like he... If he would have just, just, just went with where he was supposed to go, he was in charge. He was the commander-in-chief. If he would have just not made the decision to stay home and pass his responsibilities on to another one, if he would have just done what he was supposed to do and been on the battlefield surrounded by his men that loved him and supported him and kept him in check and kept him accountable, he'd have never, if he'd have never made the fatal mistake of isolation, this story could have been averted. And see, I think so many of the decisions we make, you know, to me, when people begin to isolate themselves, it worries me. And so some of you may think we want to encourage you to be a part of a church because of some weird ulterior motive. No, it's because I believe isolation is bad. Isolation is not good. And when people start to isolate themselves from others, isolate themselves from church, isolate themselves from a community and accountability, I get worried. Because I think a lot of bad decisions come when we isolate ourselves from the accountability and encouragement we need in order to make good decisions. He chose to be alone. Well, he, Casey read this passage last week, if, uh, Ecclesiastes, which is fittingly written by the son of David, King Solomon. Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I know we, we say this. I hear all the time, I don't, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I get it. You don't have to go to church to get saved. You don't have to go to church to be a, be a believer. But to be healthy and encouraged and accountable and empowered and not isolated, you need a church family. You need a group of people. See, David, just think if, if, if his men would have been there to say, David, get off the roof. Or, David, you ain't sleeping with her. She ain't your wife. Or, David, are you really going to kill a man to mess up, to cover up your stupid decision? He didn't have that because he had isolated himself. You think about, man, some of the mistakes we've made in our lives. If you'd have just had somebody to say, sit there and look at you and say, don't do it. And we'd have been willing to listen. He searched at a crossroads. And he made the decision to be alone instead of accountable. Secondly, he decided to linger instead of leave. Just imagine when he's up on that roof. See that in verse 2? He's up on the roof and he's walking around. See, I believe, I, I don't know how long he was up there. But I'm just going to say that I think he got up there 
And he looked over there and he saw this beautiful naked lady bathing. And he had a decision to make right there. Will I linger or will I leave? What if he just said, yeah, I'm out of here because this is not going to end very well. What if he just went back downstairs? What if the moment he saw her, because I don't think that's what happened. See, I think he lingered and he looked at her and he let his mind take him places that his body didn't need to go. Because church, don't you understand, that's where it begins. That every sin begins as a thought. That every bad decision starts with a dumb idea. And that he let his mind, he committed adultery in his mind before he ever touched her. That he lingered on that roof and let himself look See, there comes a time when you've got to stay in, in this decision. Am I going to linger or am I going to leave? Am I going to stay at this party where all these bad things are happening or am I going to go? Am I going to stay in this situation where I know it's going to be bad, unhealthy for me, and I'm going to lose my temper or am I going to leave? Am I going to linger or am I going to leave? Am I, am I going to keep looking at that stuff on my computer, on the Internet every single day, or am I going to leave and make, take some action to make sure that doesn't happen again? Come on. Will we linger or will we leave? Guys, it's really easy for let your eyes linger when you need to leave or your wife will smack you in the face <laughs> and she should. Why do we linger in places that we know aren't healthy? I've used this analogy a thousand times. If you're trying to lose weight, you don't hang out at the Krispy Kreme. <laughs> it just ain't a smart idea. Just like an alcoholic, you don't hang out at the bar. There, there's a lot of other places that are very similar. Places where you're choosing to linger, where you need to leave. Come on. Where you're allowing your mind to go some places where you need to look for a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He chose to linger when he should have left. He chose desire over discipline. See, he stood at a crossroads where he was he going to let what his flesh wanted, what he desired, win over being disciplined to what he knew God wanted for his life. And that's a battle that we fail so often, isn't it? When what we want, when our, what our emotions or our flesh desires, we have to have to decide what's going to win, the desires of the flesh or being disciplined in what we know God wants for us and what is his best. You may tell you why ultimately David did this. You ready? He wanted to. He wanted to. And several times he had a choice to let desire not win out and to be disciplined in knowing what God's words and God's commands were. Instead of being disciplined to follow God's precepts, he gave into his desires of his flesh. Ultimately, we sin, we make bad decisions. Can we be honest? Because we want to. His desire to fulfill that flesh won out over his discipline for what God wanted. James 1, 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. See, 
He constantly made the wrong choice. Even at this point, when she stood there before him, and when she was brought into his chamber, he, he could have up until any point said, you know what, my desire's not gonna win out, my discipline is. And when desire wins out over discipline, it's gonna end badly. And finally, he chose to cover up instead of come clean. He chose to cover up instead of come clean. He had time after time after time to come clean about what he did. If he would have come clean, a man wouldn't have lost his life. Maybe a family wouldn't have been torn apart. Who knows how the story would have ended. But instead of being willing to come clean, he chose to cover up. And this is a crossroads that, you know what, it seems like, like covering up is, is the easier option, doesn't it? That's kind of what we think. You know what? Because we're, we're afraid of the fallout of come clean. We're, we're convinced that come clean means it's going to be worse for me. And come clean is, means that we're going to maybe do some damage. And come clean means it's going to be really hard and uncomfortable. And cover up is the easy, selfish way to deal with it. And when he stood at that crossroads of come clean or cover up, he chose to cover up. And it made things a thousand times worse. And see, that's what a lot of people are in this room, I believe. That you're still trying to cover up. That you know what? You've lost those battles that David lost. When you, when you should have been accountable, you chose to be alone. When you should have left, you decided to linger. When you should have been disciplined, you gave in to desire. And you messed up. And instead of coming clean, you've been trying to cover up. And you're sitting here today with all the guilt and shame and weight and pain of that. Because you're convinced you can't come clean. And some of you, you've been covering up for so long, you've given up on yourself. You don't think you're worthy. You don't think you deserve it. The good news is Jesus. That he didn't come because you deserved it. He didn't come because he had to. He came so he could make you clean. But before he can make you clean, you got to come clean. And you're thinking, well, mine's not nearly as bad as David, so I'm good. As long as that's still there, as long as you're trying to cover up, you're going to be paranoid and discouraged and paralyzed by guilt. And see, I don't even think guilt is from God. Because I think guilt is the enemy's tool to keep you paralyzed and keep you covering up. I think God does conviction that inspires change. And so today, will you come clean? David would later write in the Psalms, God against you and you alone have I sinned. Because he realized before he could ever move on from this and heal from this, he had to come clean to his God. That thing that you've done, that mistake that you've made, see, the good news is, this isn't the end of David's story. And that thing you've done, it don't have to be yours. But you can never heal from it. You can never move beyond it till you come clean. See, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: whoever conceals their sin does not prosper 
but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I told you a few weeks ago that concealment is far more dangerous than confession. Today's a day for you to come clean. Find forgiveness because of the cross of Christ and begin a new chapter. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me? We're going to pray and we're going to worship this morning. And can we do some really honest work with the Lord today? I'm going to invite some of our pastors, elders, leaders to kind of get up and make their way around the room. There's going to be people all around the room that if you need somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with, somebody just to, to, to cry on their shoulder, there's men and women that are going to be all around the perimeter of this room right now. They're making their way around the room to listen to you, to pray with you, to be there for you. It's time to come clean. And I know here, here's, what you, here's what the devil's going to tell you. Like, you can't get up. What are people going to think? You can't, go, you, can't, you can't stand up. People are going to judge you. This, that's not this place. You're safe. You're safe. Because the person that's going to judge you is only judging you because they've been in the same boat. Come clean. Find forgiveness. Start some healing. Father, I pray that right now as we worship you and as we look to you, that God, that you would speak life and truth and health into this room. God, we've all made bad decisions that have led to bad decisions. And God, there's been times we just tried to cover it up. We tried to push it aside. We tried to pretend like it's not there. But God, there's something therapeutic and healing and, and there's something powerful and us just be willing to confess it before you, to pour our hearts out to you, God, to a God who loves us and who died for us and who's made a way for us to find healing and forgiveness. And God, I pray that right now that the people in this room would push aside anything but you and respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.